I'm Alex Breitenbach. I'm Sean Cabrera. And this is the Big Red Hockey Cast, the official podcast of Cornell Big Red Hockey, produced by the Big Red Sports Network. As always, thanks for listening. And check out the Big Red Sports Network at Cornell BRSN. That's Cornell BRSN on Instagram to never miss out on any Big Red action. Now, for the new listeners out there, we feel it necessary to introduce ourselves for those of you who are just joining us. Well, like I said, I'm Alex. I'm a junior from Wilton, Connecticut. Um, on Friday and Saturday nights, every weekend, without fail, I'm the cowbell guy, and I'm always in Section B. And I always I do the telephone chants as well. Love doing that these past couple of weeks. It's always been very fun to research the sieves. Anyways, um, <laughs> I've been line of faithful since I was five years old, and I'm just a guy who loves Cornell and loves to talk hockey. And it's a, a true honor to be here. And for those of you line of faithful who love to sit in section B, come say hi. I'm, I'm not shy, I promise. He's the guy with the very loud cowbell. I think you can find him very easily. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. And now I guess it's my turn. So, hey, there again. I'm Sean, also currently a Cornell junior from Brooklyn, New York. So shout out to my New Yorkers out there. And you can usually catch me on the production side of things when it comes to Big Red Hockey. On the weekends, I'm normally running one of the cameras at the line of rinky games or covering replay for the Big Red side on ESPN+. And, you know, without a doubt, it is a pleasure to be here and to speak about the most historic college hockey team known to man. And that's putting it very humbly. <laughs> now, going from hockey to basketball, though, Alex, are you familiar with the age-old phrase, boom shakalaka? Yes. Why? Well, if you or your friends have a case of the Mondays and are craving a lot of boom and a lot of shakalaka, then tune into Around the Gorge this week. New episodes are released every Monday, and they cover not only basketball, but also your other Cornell sports, including track and field, polo, you name it. And Alex, let me tell you, I mean, Cornell basketball had a very interesting weekend. Don't want to step on their toes, but... They were able to be Princeton, who were number one in the Ivy at the moment. But again, I'll leave that to them to talk about it. That's not my job. It's theirs. And rightfully so. Again, if you're missing a little three-point action in your life, then tune in immediately to Around the Gorge for that immediate cure. That is Around the Gorge. And also, you know what? Something else sprung up in my mind, Alex. You know what else has been Around the Gorge recently? What is that, Sean? Patriotism, my dear Connecticut friend. Patriotism. Of Cornell's very own Karen Chen and the Team USA figure skating squad brought home the dough, bringing home the red, white, and blues first silver medal in team event figure skating history. A little bit of a mouthful there. And as much as I would love to talk about it here with you guys, there is one podcast that can take care of that, and that is Big Red in Beijing. We've got you covered from every Cornelian Olympian in figure skating to ice hockey, you name it, from Team USA to Team Canada to Team Czechia. You see, it just, it just speaks to the international grandeur that is Cornell University and their athletes. Once again, check out Big Red in Beijing. Now, without further ado, Friday night, what happened, Alex? Well, 
Sean, this is not the start to a weekend that we wanted. Friday night, we started off a doubleheader versus Colgate in Hamilton. So their home ice, it's a 3-2 loss. And it was our our, our first official loss. Well, okay, we, technically we lost to Brown earlier this week. So I guess it's our second consecutive loss uh, through the week. But, you know, still not the best start to a weekend. So Cornell led up the first goal of the game late in the first period. However, they tied the game off a goal from Andre Zanitska, or Pianishka, excuse me, uh, assisted <laughs> by Kyle Betts, only eight seconds into the second period. So definitely a, um, some, some bright spots there. However, Colgate would then get a power play goal seven minutes later and take that lead into the second intermission. Cornell would then get another early goal, 54 seconds into the third period on a goal by Kyle Penny. And the tie was eventually broken by Colgate with 7.30 left to go in regulation, once again on power play. So, again, let's just let the stats speak for themselves. Cornell power play, 0 for 4 with 7 shots. And then penalty kill, 1 for 3 with 6 shots against. So, you know, we normally... We normally see a much better performance from the penalty kill. Um, this this night, they just, I guess, didn't have it. And, you know, that's all right. Everybody has off nights. But yeah. face-offs, 38 to 19 in favor of Colgate. And shots on goal, 27 to 23 in favor of Cornell. In the goaltending creases, let's look at it. Ian Shane got the nod again. He had 21 saves on 24 shots. For an 875 save percentage, it's a solid performance again from him. You know, he has not disappointed in any of his starts, really. I think he's had a very, very good start to his career, and I don't blame him for any of this at all. Uh, at the other end of the ice, Red Colgate goalie Mitch Benson had 27 saves on 29 shots for a 931 save percentage. So a decent performance uh, from his end and definitely a physical pre uh, presence there. Some notable takeaways in general. Uh, face-offs. So without Max Andreev and Brendan Locke. So, okay, Brendan Locke got a game misconduct in the yeah. second period. And Max Andreev was injured. He's been injured for quite a while. Uh, Cornell has been heavily outmatched in the face-off circle. And so we're lacking that kind of physical presence there. Cornell had a problem on the penalty kill this game, like we said, allowing two power play goals and a myriad of shots. And then Cornell found themselves chasing the game. And they appeared a bit sluggish and uh, uninspired throughout the contest. So, you know, it was not our night. Just plain and simple. However, Saturday night, a little bit better. Sean, what happened Saturday night, night two of this doubleheader? I guess we could call it a small improvement. It did end in a 2-2 tie. And, you know, as per new regulation, we did go to a shootout. And uh, Cornell, unfortunately, did lose in that. But again, it, it, this goes down as a 2-2 tie. This is The shootout is more of a test thing, I believe, they're doing as of this season. So, you know, again, more for pride. Now, just, you know, without further ado, Cornell scored another early goal to get Lina rocking with a goal from Jack Malone, just 4.06 into the first period, assisted by Liam Motley and Brendan Locke. Now, Cornell would spend most of their time in the offensive zone that period, outshooting Colgate, by basically a two to one ratio, exactly 10 to five at the end of the first period, Cornell would open the second period with a power play goal from Matt Steinberg, assisted by Kyle Penny and Brendan Locke at 526. 
However, the rest of the second period would be dominated by our favorite toothpaste brand, Colgate, scoring a power play goal at 8.09 and an even strength goal at 18.02 to tie the game. Now, this is just more of a, of a personal note because I did have to run that replay on that first goal that was challenged. And to say the least, because I'm not sure what, what I can exactly say, I'm going to say it was a kind of a controversial, controversial call by uh, the refs. I, I, I'd agree with you. Although, you know, I mean, from my angle, I, I you know, they took a long time to look at it. You know, I, I really appreciate them actually taking their time to, to, to give, you know, it to do it justice. Uh, you know, it's not the call the line of faithful wanted. From my angle, I didn't really see anything wrong in terms of offsides. The play was onsides. But, and, you know, he just kind of flung it at the net and it went in. But I, I'm guessing they were looking at it for interference or something. But, yeah, no, certainly a controversial call. So they were actually looking for it for offside. And when you look at it from the from the main camera angle, let's say, like when you're turning it on to ESPN Plus and you're looking at the game, from that angle, he doesn't look offside. However, when you look at it from the ice level camera, that's basically behind the goalie, the opposing goalie's oh. net, he looks terribly offside only because his foot – well, that's from the angle. It really is an angle play because mm. by the time he's trying to control the puck with his foot, his teammate had already had already crossed the blue line before oh, the yeah. puck even crossed. So again, it was controversial only because it was so close and we couldn't offer any better angles of that. And, you know, that's just the way the cookie crumbles at times. C'est la vie. You can't really do much. Yeah. So again, I'm not saying it was wrong decision. I, and that's not my power. I'm just saying, man, I would have hated to have been a referee that night. I'll oh just say yeah! That. Oh goodness! That must have been yeah. complicated. I, I'd hate to be a referee in line at any point in time. Nobody <laughs> ever fair. gives you any love unless <laughs> you happen to be the Jordan Paterino. Nobody gives you any love. But, yeah. <laughs> fair enough. And now to continue with that, Cornell would pile on the pressure late in the third period, out shooting Colgate yet again to a two to one ratio, fourteen to seven in the third. But they could not capitalize even with the power play with one forty five left in regulation. Overtime would solve nothing. So the game went to a shootout and Cornell right now is having a bad stint when it comes to shootouts. Colgate would go on to win the shootout two to O or two nothing. Now, if we look at the stats, Cornell power play, we were one for six with four shots on goal. One could call it an improvement on the power play system. I certainly was not expecting that. However, speaking of surprises, the Cornell penalty kill was two for three with six shots against the, uh, the defense did not, look the sharpest but again it just happens it just happens and yeah. once again face-offs 34 to 23 in favor of cornell so a grand improvement from friday night which was i believe you said 38 19 which is so unrealistic of a number i didn't even realize that and shots on goal 34 to 24 in favor of cornell if we look at goaltending stats ian shane had 22 saves on 24 shots for a 917 save percentage he was one for three in the shootout and now if we look at Mitch Benson on the opposite end, he had 32 saves on 34 shots, which equals out to a 941 save percentage. And he was two for two in the shootout. Got to give him props there. And uh, so some notable takeaways just to keep this short. You know, a tough shootout loss for Cornell again. Cornell continues to be undefeated in OT. However, they fall to 0 and 4 in the shootout. Um. In terms of the shootout, I, I, I think it's very, very difficult to judge because it, it's such a new thing for the ECA, or at least for this team in particular. Yeah. 
because like our freshman year they didn't have that no and so like you know if if you didn't win in overtime it was a tie and now i guess now that they have the shootout you know eventually i think we will get better at it but you know that's not necessarily something you practice however um the one thing that i will say about um and and i i'm coming up with a term for this and i promise i'll keep this (laughs) short but colgate is abiding by the Dornbach doctrine. And if you recall, last episode, I talked about how Casey Dornbach purposely didn't take any shots on goal during overtime uh, during the Harvard game. I think that Colgate ripped a page right out of his book because I, I still felt that, you know, once Colgate got the puck in overtime, it was pretty much over because they they knew. They just wanted to – they were content to take it to a shootout and beat us there. And, you know, that's kind of the – uh, one of the reasons why we need to improve our three on three and certainly improve playing a uh, 60 minute game and improving our endurance overall. But you know, that that's just one of my uh, takes on it. Again, Ian Shane continues to be the starter keeping Cornell in a lot of their games. You know, he has been a, a, a brick wall uh, for the well most said. part. Uh, however, um, the real story, unfortunate for this weekend was Mitch Benson who played two great games against the big red um, again, like we said, a combined 93 save percentage and a 198 goals against average. Uh, Berard continues to find his way onto the short, uh, the, the score sheet. But, you know, the, the problem is, you know, we were out for Ben Berard. That's the, that, that's the problem. Like, you know, we were missing a key piece in our lineup. We were missing Kyler Kovic, Ben Berard, I believe Cody Haskinen and, yes. and a couple more. Oh, and Andreev. Yeah, yes. we were missing Andreev and Coach Schaefer. My goodness. Yes. What would that, we do without our fearless yeah. leader? And again, Cornell falls to 16 uh, from 11 in the NCAA rankings following their loss and tie to a non-top 20 Colgate. However, Cornell remains fourth seed in the ECAC, now five points behind Harvard and eight points behind Clarkson and 13 points behind the leader Quinnipiac with Quinnipiac having two games in hand. Now, while it has not been the best of weeks, we do have a very special treat in the sin bin this week. Finally, after weeks and weeks of anticipation, we finally have him in the sin bin. And with that, it is our true honor and privilege from everyone here at BRSN and the Big Red Hockey Cast to present for you the line of faithful from the class of 2021, the Cornell Halifax legend, the New York Rangers own number 47, Morgan Barron. Welcome back to this edition of the Sin Bin on the Big Red Hockey Cast. And this week, it is a true honor to interview one of our favorite players and longtime alumni, Morgan Barron. It's a pleasure to have you. Welcome to the Sin Bin, man. How's it going? Of course. It's good, guys. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. No, of course. And so, so you were just telling us, so you are, where are you now? Are you in Hartford or are you Hmm. like... Uh, on paper, I suppose I'm technically in Hartford. Uh, that's where I was assigned to Hartford, I think, Wednesday. Um, uh, right now I'm in New York visiting my girlfriend because we have a little oh, break. Nice. Yeah, oh, nice. Yeah, it's hear. nice to get away from it sometimes, but 
yeah, the last month or so, really since Christmas has been kind of, uh, there's been a lot of paper transactions, a lot of travel for me. I've been going up and down, back and forth and then, um, you know, road trips and all that stuff. So it's been oh, pretty no. crazy no. the last little while. That's good to hear. I'm sure it's always good to have some time off though. You know, you have a busy schedule and stuff. Yeah, it's important yeah. for sure. No, and uh, so without further ado, I'll just jump right in. So this is now your second season in the New York Rangers organization since the day you signed in July of 2020. And since that day, you've had the opportunity to play in 14 NHL games with the New York Rangers, recording two points, a goal, and an assist, respectively. But honestly, you know, my opinion, the stats don't really do justice to the fact that you're certainly becoming a frequent sight on the ice and definitely a talking point among the big blue fan, pool, fan base. As an avid Rangers fan myself, I know you were on – talking about you on reddit the other day and so my question is uh what have the last two years meant to you to play in the nhl especially on a team that is certainly favored to be a cup contender yeah it's been awesome i mean um your whole career that's kind of what you dream about ultimately doing is getting to the nhl and um you know there's definitely been some ups and downs i know um for my first camp, I wanted to be a full-time NHL right out of my camp, which, I mean, everyone has that goal, but, um, you know, I was a little bit disappointed getting sent down the first time. And then really since then, it's just been a roller coaster of, uh, you know, trying to play my best hockey in Hartford, eventually getting called up and then sent back down and called up again and sent back down. So it's been pretty crazy, but, um, you know, anytime I get the opportunity to go up there and play and put that jersey on, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's really special. And, I'm just kind of slowly turning my way and uh, hopefully, you know, here soon I'll be able to stay up there full time and, and really enjoy that. And um, like you said, they're, they're a cop contender. They have a really good team this year. And to be in that locker room with some of those players is pretty special, um, you know, so yeah, hopefully I can get up and, and be a part of their playoff run here. Cause I think it's uh, it's going to be a long one. Oh, I'll bet. And we all wish for that. Certainly. And so the Rangers definitely have some big personalities on the team, you know, from Breadman and Revo now behind closed doors. Now let us know. So who's got the biggest personality off the ice? Probably Revo. I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I bet on and, that. and it's a, fu- it's a fun one. You know, it's, it's funny because uh, whenever I'm on a line with them or playing with them, it just seems like there's a little bit less aggressiveness from the other team after whistles. I've mentioned that to him a few times on the bench. Things seem to calm down a lot quicker when he's in scrums, but um, you know, for, for how tough he is on the ice, really friendly guy off the ice. And, and I think he's very quickly become a real big part of that locker room and just, uh, you know, getting to know the young guys, getting to know the older guys and just kind of bringing everyone together as a group. Yeah, no, I'll bet. And also to add on to that, now that you're teammates with none other than who Rangers fans call Foxy Cleaner, as everyone else <laughs> knows him, Adam Fox, you know, the pride of the Harvard Crimson. We got to know, do you guys ever talk about, you know, the famed Harvard-Cornell rivalry? <laughs> yeah, we would talk about it a little bit at first. I mean, I've known him a few years now, ever since his first development camp. I know, especially in the early days of it, um, that was probably one of the first talking points for us was all those battles we had. And uh, he always, he'd always he always mentioned how fun, how much fun it was for them to play at line or just because it's such a cool atmosphere. So um, I think the days of our, our little hatred between us on the ice has probably passed now that we both yeah. left college. But um yeah no we, we've definitely shared some laughs about it and uh you've seen what he's done since he's he signed out of harvard i think he's just taken off so it's been pretty cool yeah. to see that as well certainly no and 
So while we're here, you know, a few weeks, we had our California King, Alec McRae, on the podcast. Now, I, 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 yes, and I think you know where we're going with this. That November night back in 2017, when you fought off a sure holding penalty in our books, you know, to get that pass to Alex for the buzzer beater, went over Foxy Clean's Harvard. So what do you remember about that night? Do you remember much of it? Yeah, I remember a lot, to be honest. That's probably one of the, the games that sticks in my mind the most. Um you know, at Lina and even during my time at Cornell, just because I think, uh, I mean, the reaction leading up to the game, I remember there was a lot of anticipation. I think at the time Harvard was, you know, fourth or fifth in the country and we were kind of um, you know, teetering on the bubble, maybe like the 15 to 20 range in the rankings. So it was a big game for us. Everyone kind of viewed us as a little bit of an underdog. And then, um, you know, I remember even when I was younger, when I had just committed to Cornell, the first thing you do is look up on YouTube and you see people throwing the fish and doing the chants and everything's, you know, Cornell versus Harvard. So, um, yeah, I was really excited for that. And just to get, you know, the line of face packed in the rink and everything was so loud. Um, and then, you know, as the game went on, it was a great game. And, you know, I remember their coach taking, uh, taking a penalty on the bench, I believe for screaming at the ref or something crazy like that. And, oh. Um, I can't remember if it was five on four or five on three, but I just, I was thinking about it the other day. Um, I just have this vivid memory of like lining up for the face off and hearing the drums go, uh, you know, the band plays that one song whenever there's a power play. Yeah. Probably like a minute left. And then, yeah, I mean, the whole sequence was crazy. I know the puck almost came offside, like right at the start and Alec McCray kept it in. It seemed like it sat there for like five seconds, half on the line, half off. Yeah. And then eventually we got to the cycle and, uh, you know, I found Hal and he scored and, I just remember looking back and looking at the clock as soon as I jumped in the pile and seeing like 1.2 seconds or whatever was left on the clock and freaking out. So it was pretty cool. I know that's, that's one of those games that I'll never forget. My dad has the picture framed where I'm jumping into Alex hands and you can see every single person in the rink standing in the background with their hands up. So yeah, that's definitely one of the moments I cherish most from my time. Oh, absolutely. Definitely a part of the legend of Captain Morgan, definitely. <laughs> and I mean, it sure is an iconic photo. And I know, you know, you're not one to over celebrate, but I definitely imagine the circumstances in that scenario would be worthy of just an amazing Sally. And yeah. now I guess I'll follow it up with, you know, in your opinion, was it difficult transitioning from the AHL to the NHL? And, you know, are there some things that they truly don't teach you? about the show in Hartford and, you know, that you have to pick up as you go along? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like almost anything else in life. I think you can, you can talk about it as much as you want, but a lot of things you kind of need to live through and experience to really understand. Um, and, and, you know, I feel like I'm still just kind of getting my feet wet in the NHL. Um, you know, it's, it's been tough at times because you get up and play four games here and then go back down and then play two games here and then you're out for a week and then you play another, you know, so, um, I still feel like I'm learning a lot every every game I get up, every practice. I'm able to, to be a part of those guys, uh, be a part of that that team in New York. So, um, I mean, there's tons of things, but I think just the speed of the game is probably the one thing that you can't really replicate it in Hartford or in the AHL or in college or junior or wherever you're playing. Uh, it's going to be so much different when you get there because, I mean, it's the best players in the world. So, uh, obviously, you guys skate faster, but I think the game just happens faster. People think faster. People make decisions quicker. Um, you're forced to make decisions quicker. So that that's probably the one thing that I, I felt like I've gotten more and more comfortable with as, as my games have gone on. I'm just realizing, you know, when you have time to hold the puck, when you probably need to distribute and get open again. Yeah. No, no, no. And, and certainly, and I guess to follow that up, you know, 
of course, you know, we all hope that you'll be a permanent in New York, but certainly can you speak to how the unknown of when you're going to be called up or sent back has changed your development as a player? And certainly, you know, you've been the, the go-to guy, I think, in my opinion, as a Blue Shirts fan. You know, every time they get an injury or something, you know, it's you or McKegg who comes up. And, you know, how has that, like, you know, have you just learned to roll with it, you know, throughout your development, I guess? Yeah, you kind of have to. I mean, you're, you're forced to uh, to pretty much just take the punches as they come. And um, like I said, it's not always easy, but at the end of the day, I'd rather be the guy who, who's going back and forth than the guy who's in Hartford all year long. Um, so, I mean, as much as it can be difficult at times, um, you know, I, I think it's a blessing. And I'm, I'm like I said, I'm, I'm able to get those opportunities and I've been in the locker room a fair amount over the past two years. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's an adjustment. I mean, the other part of it is, is you're competing with guys who you're friends with. I know you mentioned like Kegger and he's been up there pretty much all year now, but such a great guy. Um, and then, you know, you, you want to see him succeed and go up and he's done so well this year. And then it's kind of like, well, okay, when's my opportunity coming? So yeah, it's different. And, uh, you know, it's, I mean, the other part of it too is, you, I look back on my time at Cornell and the teams were so, so close with each other and it seemed like everyone was best friends. And then you get to pro and, you know, I, I think we have an extraordinary close group in New York and in Hartford, but it's just so much different with guys getting called up and sent down and traded and moved around. Like that's just an aspect that um, is different in pro hockey. Everyone's, everyone's, uh, you know, a little bit on pins and needles and now we have a trade deadline approaching. So you can kind of sense that. You know, there could be guys leaving or coming in, new guys signing. So, um, yeah, it's it's crazy. Pro hockey's a lot different than, than it would be in college. But, you know, I'm happy to be a part of it, and I'm just kind of along for the ride right now. Oh, absolutely. And I guess, you know, since we talked about the Alec McCray goal, you know, you had to know this was coming. But take us through the moment when you scored your first goal in the NHL against the Washington Capitals. <laughs> you know, just a simple snapshot off a sweet feed from Zach Jones. And yeah. I mean, from your celly, it seemed like business as usual. Like, you know, that was just the most calm, like collected kind of, you know, just, yeah, uh, we scored. But, you know, could, uh, can you walk us through that moment? You know, what were you thinking? Yeah, it was a little bit anticlimactic just because I think if you were to map out the storylines in that game, my goal would, I mean, it's not cracking the top 10, maybe it cracks the top like 20, just because, I mean, I'm sure most of you remember if you're Rangers fans, because that was the whole Tom Wilson uh Oh, yeah. Brendan Smith fought him and there was like six fights or whatever it was throughout the game and TJ Oshie had a hat trick so yep. there was like a million storylines it seemed like my goal kind of got pushed to the bottom but uh, and, and also you know the fact that my goal came with whatever it was 40 seconds left and we were already down uh, my goal made us brought us within two I think it was like 4-1 and it pushed it to 4-2 so you know and over the course of the game I'm not sure the goal meant a ton but um, you know for me and my family to be able to do that um i mean yeah you you work your whole life for it and just have that opportunity to be up there and, and to score my goal I, I think you know i'll always be able to hold that um and, and know that i've scored a goal in the nhl and hopefully there's a lot more to come but you know to get that monkey off your back and not have to worry about it now i know uh like i said i haven't been able to score one this year so if i didn't have that one goal i think i'd be a little bit more panic than me try, trying to get one so Hey, but uh, you, have an nice you have an assist on the season. So, you know, <laughs> you know, it, it'll come, it, yeah. it'll come. And I, and I guess to, to follow that up, you know, it was definitely number one in line of faithful hearts for certain, <laughs> but I got to ask, you know, playing at the 
NHL level, is there anything special or unexpected that you've developed as a routine on game day? Have you like, you know, changed it up since you've been in college? Um, the one thing I would say is that I, I try to stay a little bit looser. I think in college, you know, at Cornell on a good year, you might play 35 games, you know, um, it seems like every game is life or death. You know, every game is a massive deal is a must win. Um, whereas in pro you're, you're just playing so often, like you can, you can clip a hundred games a year if you go on a deep playoff run in the NHL. So, um, for me, it's about just staying a little bit looser. I play, I play a lot more soccer, uh, like pregame soccer with the guys now than I did at Cornell just because, um, I, I think it's important for me to just be a little bit less, uh, a little bit less uptight before the games, if that makes sense. You know, I know I've, I've been talking to some of the Cornell guys as of late um, and, you know, the team's been on a little bit of a skid, but it seems like every game is, like I said, life or death. It's a massive deal. If you lose, it's a massive deal. If you win. So, um, you know, I think pro hockey is a little bit more about, you know, last night, this happened. Great. Let's move on. We have another game tonight and probably another one tomorrow as well. So uh, that's probably been the biggest change for me. Pre-game routine. Yeah. I mean, straight from the guys who have to cover this week in and week out, you know, I can agree with that a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, even with the pairwise, like I just remember playing games against teams that were at the bottom of the standings who, you know, couldn't even count uh, the number of wins they had, you know, it seemed like they had only have two or three wins and you're going into the game. Like, well, hell if we, if we lose, we're going to drop. 10 spots or whatever it would be in the pairwise. And if we win, we're probably going to stay where we are. We might even have other people hop over us. So I think that, that as well is like, it makes it difficult sometimes to, um, you know, just play each game and, and be loose. And it, it was, it was tough at times, but I mean, that's also what I love about college hockey. You play 30 games. Yes. But um, every game seems so important. So I made a lot of fun. Now, let's take it back for a minute. You know, let's go from NHL to the Morgan Barron Genesis. You know, growing up in Halifax, Nova Scotia, hockey is, I'm sure, just a part of life. But when did you yourself realize, you know, hey, I may be a little better than some of my peers? Um, it's a good question. I, you know, some guys have like a moment of reckoning. Uh, you know, I never, I can't look back and pinpoint one moment. I think, you know, I've had a lot of little ones over the course of my career where in minor hockey, you know, maybe I realized at like 10 years old, like, Hey, okay, I'm going to make the top team every year. I'm going to always be on the triple A team in minor hockey. And then, you know, at 16, you realize, well, Hey, I might have a chance to play major junior college hockey. And then, um, once I got to Cornell, it was kind of like, well, maybe I can be a good player in college hockey. Maybe I can make this jump to the NHL. And, and now it's kind of gotten to the point where, um, you know, hopefully I can be an impactful player at the NHL. So th there's been a lot of little points that I can look back on and, and I've gained confidence over the years and it's been a slow process. I know I was a little bit of a late bloomer, which made it difficult, but um, probably if I had to pick one of them, probably getting drafted to the NHL before coming into Cornell was, the biggest one because that's when you realize like hey um you know this team is using an asset to add me to you know their organization so um that was probably the biggest one and that's when I kind of felt a little bit of responsibility more so than anything else to know you know this team took a chance on me and I want to prove them right now you mentioned that you were a late bloomer but you know again in line of faithful hearts just to repeat what some people also say 
some do say that the late blooming flowers are the most beautiful, are the most precious. And clearly, I mean, you're in the NHL, you're with the New York Rangers. So, you know, you could give yourself a pat on the back there. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, we would. Uh, I mean, it seems like at Cornell, we had a lot of guys who are late bloomers. And, you know, I don't think that was luck. I think that was by design. Um, those are the type of people that our coaching staff really like to recruit because, you know, you've gone through a lot of the hardships and, um, you know, seems like those are the players that they they seem to think fit the identity that Cornell Hockey had. So it was a lot of fun. An interesting point. I never really thought about it that way, but now that you now that you mention it, that's a that's an excellent sort of thesis, I guess we could say, you know, Cornell yeah. students. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, both you and your brother Justin, who is a defenseman and first round pick with the Colorado Avalanche, have mentioned the impact your parents had on you growing up and the values that they taught you. Do you mind expanding upon that? You know, telling us about that? Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough to put into words, really, just how much they've, they've sacrificed for you. And I think when you're a kid, you don't fully appreciate or understand some of the commitments that they're making. But, you know, I can, I can think back to my poor dad and my poor mom dragging me out of bed at six in the morning to go to skates. And, you know, I could barely get up and you know, they knew as soon as I got up and got going, I'd be the one kicking and screaming all excited to get to the rink. But, you know, for them to sacrifice their time and to, and I mean, the money's a whole separate thing. I still can't fathom the amounts of money that they spent on minor hockey. I mean, um, the, the prices are insane. The, the equipment, the travel, like hotels, tournaments, and just fees to sign up and play for a season. Like it, it was really crazy. So, um, to have all that and on top of it just have their support i mean it really is invaluable I, I there's no chance either me or my brother would be where we are today without them and um you know it's, it's been awesome because obviously now we both make a little bit of money and hopefully we can help pay that back over over time and even though they don't they know we don't uh they, they'll never ask for anything but just to just to have them there supporting us and just as passionate now as they were when we were four or five years old. Um, it's pretty awesome to see. I know they're, they're finally going to get down and watch me and my brother play our first pro games just because with, with COVID, the borders have been closed, but this coming week, I think they're going to make the trip down, which would be really exciting. So I'm excited to see them and I'll always be grateful for all that they did for both of us. And could you imagine the flex that they have, you know, both their, both their children being in the NHL, being, being like rising stars in a way. I mean, I want to be modest. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, they're they're uh, they're really excited and proud of us, but I know they're they're also very humble people. So it's uh it's fun and to have them and I mean all our friends and, and their friends back home really cheering us on, and it's pretty cool to have that community um, looking after us. Let me just put, I guess, in simplest terms, that you know it seems like that they are some fantastic parents and that that they did a great job raising leaders, captains you know let alone great hockey players and you know most importantly good people of course and yeah i'm just very sure that they're proud I'm yeah very, no i appreciate that of course well no i was gonna i was gonna add it i'll bet they're i'll bet they're happy they don't have to pay for any broken sticks nowadays but... <laughs> yeah that makes a big difference too <laughs> yeah, i was gonna say like you know you're out what three four hundred bucks you break every time sticks. a stick yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 no it's uh just the prices of hockey equipment are insane and you know, of course, I didn't even realize that when I was a kid. I was just always asking dad for the new, most expensive, flashiest hockey sticks that they could buy from the store. And, you know, most of the time he would come through with it. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'll always be grateful. Moving on from that note, 
you know, the big red certainly has a soft spot for sack players as argue, arguably some of the big reds best talent has come out of the Aurora school. I mean, you're, yourself, Matty G, uh, Matt, the cookie monster Steinberg. And what I'm being told, Justin Ertel, that's what I'm, that's what I'm being told is how you say it. And, you know, you specifically uh, lead St. Andrews college or led them rather to a national championship in 2015, 2016, and were named captain the following year. So, and you know, in your eyes, what was so special about your experience with SAC? Well, I think for me, uh, that was a great place for me to develop. I know a lot of guys will go play juniors um, before coming to Cornell, but I just felt like I wanted to go somewhere where, you know, I was going to get a lot of opportunity to be on the ice, to practice, to play a lot. Um, and coming into that point, I didn't, I wasn't quite ready for juniors, I don't think. Um, you know, physically, probably the biggest thing. Like I said, I was a little bit of a late bloomer. So back home, all my friends who were, you know, at the same level as me or a little better, maybe were, were jumping in and playing major junior hockey against older competition. But, um, you know, this is before Cornell was even in the picture. I just felt like uh, having the opportunity to go to St. Andrews would be, would be good for me just to get that exposure to, to see what um, U.S. colleges were like and see what hockey was like, but also, you know, I wouldn't immediately be thrown on the fourth line at St. Andrews. So, you know, I wouldn't be kind of boxed into a role of like, you want, you have to be a grinder if you want to play, you have to do these things. And, um, you know, I think once I got to St. Andrews, I was really able to work on a lot of my offensive skills. I was able to play on the power play. I was able to penalty kill. And um, the coach there, David Manning and all the staff, just they do such a great job in, in just developing you. And I mean, there's ice always available. There's a beautiful rink right on campus. Um, you know, they have world-class strength and conditioning coach and John Murray and, um, you know, great facilities. So it, it was everything I bargained for. And that's kind of why I decided to stay that second year and to be able to be the captain and kind of learn that how, how to be a leader. I know that that year I learned a ton of different stuff um, and, and it was just a lot of fun. And I think I was able to carry a lot of those lessons into Cornell. And like you sort of said, when Cornell got into the picture, you know, for just the, for your future at the time, what made you want to choose the Big Reds to continue your hockey career? The biggest thing for Cornell was the people. I know I remember um, I remember before uh, before committing to any school before my season started at St. Andrews in my junior year. I remember like looking through all the schools and the first thing I had to do was look up like what a picture of the rink looks like, look up what a picture of their dressing room looks like. And I, I always in my head for whatever reason, was like, oh, I'm just, I want to go to this school because it's the rink sits 15,000 people. They got a brand new dressing room. They have this, they have that. And then as you really started getting recruited and talking to different coaches and talking to different guys on the team, you know, that very quickly got put to really the bottom of my list. And it was more so about like, what, what are these coaches saying to me? Um, what are their opinions on my game? How do they view their team? How do they view my game moving forward? And what kind of people are they? Or, and, you know, I'm sure you guys have talked a lot with the coaching staff with Shafe and Benny and, and Flanny and, um, you know, Topher recruited me a little bit at the time as well. And um, just such great people. They were in constant contact. My phone was ringing off the hook with Benny calling me all the time, uh, Benny <laughs> Sire. So, yep. um, you know, I, I was sold on them pretty quickly. I know uh, I had committed my my uh, about halfway through my grade 11 year. And then uh, I know I, I remember poor Benny would, he'd probably tell the story better than I would, but um, 
there, there was never any chance of me decommitting, but the more so than anything else that sold me that I had chosen the right place was, I remember Benny flying out to Sydney, Nova Scotia, which is not an easy trip. Probably was two or three flights for him. Uh, he was coming to watch my brother play. Um, and he flew in. This is the first time he was going to meet my parents or anything. And it was probably like a 15 hour travel there or something crazy for him. And I remember it was too icy. So his plane couldn't land. It was supposed to land at midnight and flew around above the airport for three, four hours. And eventually it was able to land. And the poor guy got up to have lunch with me and my parents the next day. And he was just, you could tell he was exhausted, but he, I mean, we got to the restaurant he was already sitting down. He was early. I, my parents right away were like, what are you doing here? Like you've slept two hours, three hours, like, go home and get some sleep. I'll talk to you at the rink later. But just to see his passion and, and you know how much he was willing to go just to meet my parents. I mean, they were immediately sold and, you know, it just kind of reaffirmed my decision. Like, look, these people, not only are they great hockey minds, but they care deeply about um, all the kids that they're bringing in, about their team, about each other. And, um, you know, I, I saw that continued level throughout my time at Cornell. I always felt like they're there to support me if I needed anything. And even now, I know they're always reaching out and, and calling and texting and just um, making sure everything's good. And if I ever need someone to talk to, those are some of the first guys that I'll call. Well, I guess let me say this. It looks like everyone has a little bit of a soft spot for, you know, Benny Sire, our beloved butter turd. I guess mm-hmm. we, could, we could label him as that now. <laughs> yes. But of course, we are sure glad that, you know, you chose to came and uh, you chose to come play for us, rather, the Big Red. You know, mm-hmm. we couldn't be any more grateful for that. Yeah, and I'm the same way. I know um, that's one of the decisions that, you know, I'll always be very grateful that I chose to, to come play for Cornell and um, you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world. My teammates, the coaches, everything. It's, it's been awesome. Yeah. And I, I got to say, with regard to that story, that is dedication from Benny Sire. He never ceases mm-hmm. to amaze with the true level of dedication he does when he's recruiting. And Oh, it's crazy. You know, but focusing on your collegiate career now, you know, in your career with the Big Red, you were certainly nothing short of an offensive powerhouse, but we would expect nothing less. You know, recording 84 points in three years, you led the team in goals for two consecutive years. And one thing's for sure, I, and I can say from personal experience, that the faithful never got tired of yelling your name after you scored. So with that, you know, what do you attribute most to your success with the Big Red offensively? Well, I was lucky. I mean, I always played with really good teammates and over the last two years, especially um, when I got in the power play, you know, it seemed like that's where the majority of my goals came from. And I just stood there and shot the puck, you know, and I had some great teammates passing to me and it, it made my life a lot easier. So, I mean, that was a big part of it. At hockey, there's five guys on the ice and without the other four, um, you know, it makes it real difficult. So that was, that was, first and foremost, the biggest thing. And then just the opportunity to, to develop at Cornell. I know, you know, Flanny and Chafe um, were the, probably the two who worked with me most on the ice and just developing ways to score goals. And, you know, I spent a lot of time and I still do now and pro, but spent a lot of time just working, um, you know, finding ways to score around the net, you know, on rebounds and on tips, things like that. So uh, it was a work in progress, but those guys spent so, so much time with me on the ice before and after practice, during practice, trying to give me tips and, um, you know, I think I only had four, maybe five goals my freshman year, something around that. And, you know, it, it seemed like I kind of took off my sophomore and junior year. So um, I, I definitely owe a lot of my success to them all the time they spent working with me um, and, and just, you know, being able to hone my skills and, and, you know, score some goals. Yeah. And, 
you know, we've asked this to every guest we've had on the podcast. So, you know, now it's only fair that we ask you, but, you know, and, and, and I guess you sort of touched on this a little bit earlier, but, you know, who was your mentor uh, through your years with the Big Red? You know, who do you most attribute as being that mentor figure? Uh, the older classes, I mean, the guys above you are always so good about, you know, taking guys under their wing. And I don't know if I could point at one specific guy, um, you know, who, who, uh, who mentored me, but I mean, all of them are really good. I guess kind of an out of the box answer would be my two roommates when I moved in, Tristan and Cody. Um, they were both a little bit older than me, especially Tristan, you know, he had aged out of juniors. He seemed like an old man in my eyes. So they, uh, they did a good job and just showing me the way, um, you know, they had some lessons from their junior days that they knew that probably I would have helped me if I had known them a little earlier. So to have those guys around and, you know, I lived with them all three years when I was at college and, um, they were great and, and just taking me and, and showing me the way. And it kind of felt like as much, as much as we were all going through it together, they were both, uh, they're both really good to have along and teach me some of the ways. Awesome. I mean, how old is Molly? He's like 26, I think. Yeah, he's getting up there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, hey, hey. You know, it doesn't look a day over 21, man. Uh, anyway, exactly. So, uh, and, 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 and so now, you know, the 2019-2020 season was our time. You know, we were favored to win it all. The Cleary mm-hmm. Cup champions. And then, now I'm going to put this in quotation marks, but senior night. It wasn't even your senior year, but, you know, it would be the last time you would ever suit up with the Big Red for a game, along with many of your other teammates and seniors who were you were, who you were supposed to be honoring that night. You know, take us through your emotions during that amazing victory over Clarkson, you know, the last truly normal Big Red hockey year. Yeah. That was one of my favorite games that we played there over two years or three years. I mean, um, it, the thing that kind of hurts me the most about that season being canceled is that more so than the other two, I felt like we were, we were playing our best hockey, um, you know, heading into playoffs. I know the seasons prior, it felt like we kind of had a few hiccups along the way towards the end of the year, but um, that was, I mean, that was probably the most complete game that we had played through the whole season. I mean, Clarkson at the time was a top 10 team. Um, You know, we beat them pretty soundly. Uh, to have like a freshman like Benny Burrard scoring hat trick. I mean, not many teams have that kind of depth where you, you have a guy like that step up. And, you know, it's obviously a testament to how good a player he is, but it's also a testament to how deep we are. We were as a team. Um, yeah. So, that I mean, I, I think back to that game all the time and, and just how involved the crowd was. And, you know, I, it, it definitely sucks that um, – you know, things ultimately got canceled, but I'll always hold that game close to my heart just because it kind of, it, it really did feel like after that game, I remember coming off the ice and that was the most convinced I was at any point over my career that, Hey, we're going to go on a real good run here. Like we have a real shot to win a national championship. And um, yeah, you know, I, I've kind of beat a dead horse with how much I've talked about, you know, how unfortunate it was that season got canceled, but um that game was really fun, really special, and to honor those seniors, I know we became very close with that class with uh, with JML Murph, Baldy, uh, Yanni. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a fun game, but uh, it's kind of mixed emotions thinking back on it. I think this goes without saying, but I think we can all agree that those Golden Knights are overrated for sure. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and hopefully, then you know they don't send anyone to beat me up in my. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, I mean, you kind of beat me sort of to the question about 
what did you feel at that moment? And what did you do in that moment that the season you found out it got canceled? But now I kind of want to switch this over to, you know, what did you do over the pandemic initially before you signed? You know, did you ever debate returning to the Big Red? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was tough. I know the first few weeks, there wasn't even really a clear picture of what an NHL season would look like, what an AHL season would look like. So, you know, during that time, I didn't, I, I just tried to not think about it as much as possible. I know things are pretty much at a stalemate. Um, you know, I wasn't really talking or negotiating a contract at that point, just because, I mean, we didn't know when the NHL would be returning. We didn't know if it'd be a full season, the season after we didn't know if Cornell would be playing. There was just so many variables. Um, but, you know, I did feel like after that last game, you know, I knew that I, I knew that I would, I felt like I was, uh, you're ready to make the jump to pro hockey, you know, and, it's it's impossible to say well maybe if this had happened i would have gone back if this had happened i would have came out um but ultimately i waited and, and really wanted to see what the fate of the the college hockey season would be next year um and you know they didn't play so made my decision a little bit easier yeah. but um you know the it, it was tough because i cherish my time at cornell so much and you know to have that last opportunity to go on a run stripped of me for me and my teammates, um, you know, I think that kind of would have been the cherry on top to, to be able to go on a deep run and hopefully win something. You know, I mean, even ECACs, um, to, to be able to hang our hats on on something outside of a clear cup or an Ivy League championship would have been pretty cool. Yeah, no, for certain. And I, I think I kind of want to transition this. I want to go from a rather bitter sentiment of cancellation what we were just talking about to now a sentimental potentially sweet note and we like to we like to end these on sentimental notes to some degree what was your favorite part of playing with the big red throughout your years i was my teammates you know bar none they were um you know special people some of my best friends in life that will continue to be um, you know, I can look back and just so many good memories over the years of so many different guys. And, you know, it's just, I think it's a, a credit to, to the coaches and the people they bring in, you know, they're, they're, they're always very careful not to bring in any, any rotten eggs, so to say, um, you know, they, they spend probably more time vetting the, the potential recruits as people than they do as hockey players, which it sounds hard to believe, but um, you know, they, they go above and beyond to make sure that all the guys in that locker room are, are first and foremost, great human beings. And, um, you know, I think that's one of the things that made us what I believe to be the closest team in college hockey. Everyone gelled so well, uh, so many good memories, you know, away from the rink, obviously the ones at the rink were a lot of fun, but, um, you know, memories that I'll, I'll cherish for the rest of my life. And, you know, anytime I get an opportunity to see those guys, I know I was able to see some of them at the Rackers game last summer and, that was a blast. And I know a lot of us are trying to get back together and plan a senior trip for, for the guys who missed out because of the pandemic and, you know, all that stuff. I'm just really excited for, I know um, just great people and, and I love being with them every minute of it. Oh yeah. Well, I, I actually, brotherhood? Uh, I, I, I got it back. So my question was initially going to be about Betts, uh, Locke and Hayski. you know, have you, mm. That you've kept in contact with them, you know, because I can't even imagine what it was like for them, too, because, you know, we'd ask them that question, too, like, you know, what made you want to return, you know, so how, you know, how has your relationship been, you know, now that you've moved on to pros, have you kept in contact with them? Yeah, yeah, I mean, even the whole team, I know, we have a group chat of our original class, the 10 guys who came in, and then, 
you know, just yesterday I was on FaceTime with a few of those guys just catching up. So, um, you know, it's exciting to follow along. I wish, I wish I could watch more of the games. I know I'm pretty much playing every Friday and Saturday, which makes it tough, but you know, my notification set in my phone for every time someone scores for Cornell or against Cornell buzzes. So I can follow along to the best of my abilities, but I was really happy for those three in particular to be able to go back and get that opportunity. I mean, I can only imagine what those first games were like for them against Alaska this year after, you know, year and a half off of hockey. It's that's a long time to go though, playing the game that we're all so passionate about and we've grown up our whole lives playing it. So, um, you know, they've been, extremely extremely patient waiting for their opportunity and you know I'm, I'm excited to see them go on a run here every time I've talked to them about their team this year I mean they said all the right things that they feel really good they they're going to be able to uh, go on a run here in ECACs and hopefully bring home that championship we all love the sound of that I think Alex and <laughs> I and our producer Michael over here I think we could all testify that we love the sound of that yeah uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, uh, I mean, yeah, like we talked a little bit earlier about they've been a little bit of a skid, but, you know, the, the thing with them is it seems like they play up to the team's levels all year long. I mean, obviously the North Dakota sweep, they've beaten Quinnipiac and some of the top yeah. teams. So I really do feel like they're capable of winning, uh, going on a good run and winning some games down the stretch. Who Morgan, you would be excellent in our weekend recap section. Let me tell you that. You would be, <laughs> yeah. be an excellent. I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're going to be out of a job. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Now, with that, we do have to thank you a lot, Morgan, you know, for joining us on the Sinbin. But you listeners already know what's up next. It's the Slapshot Round right after this. All right, welcome to the Slapshot Round, where we ask hard-hitting, fun questions and have you answer them as quick as you can. Of course, per tradition, we are a little bit traditional around here. We always have to ask the first question. Are you good to go, Morgan? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Now, you're known as a prolific goal scorer during your time at Cornell. Legendary, in fact. What was your favorite goal that you've ever scored for Cornell? Oof. Uh, Probably the game tying goal in Vegas uh, my junior year. I feel like there was a little bit of animosity between us and and Providence over the years Um, and to be able to tie it up with whatever was left 45 seconds. That was pretty exciting. Mm, All right. So it was the adrenaline rush. It was like that sour, then sweet moment. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, for whatever reason, it felt like that year we were able to come back in some games. I know um, all all the goals at Lina were very special. I remember my hat trick goal against Yale also. Um, That was a pretty cool one, but there's just something about, you know, it's hard to replicate a feeling of tying a game last minute. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, and the big red, needless to say, you know, we were happy for that. It really just goes without saying at this rate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's go to pregame meals. Were you a victim of a cookie shortage? <laughs> I have definitely been a victim of a cookie shortage a few times, yes. <laughs> you know, and, and here's, if everyone's grabbing one cookie before me, that's fine. But I feel like there's been a few times where guys are grabbing multiple, and that's kind of where my issue comes into play a bit. The other day, I probably didn't need the extra cookies anyway, so it was fine. So, I, I mean, you're obviously opposed to your boy Steiny taking all the cookies. Then <laughs> it was, yeah. I mean, Steiny was. You guys um, have made me blissfully aware that his nickname is now the Cookie Monster, which is great. I think that's very fitting for him. And yeah, <laughs> he was one of the guys probably slipping cookies in his pockets if I had to take a guess. So. 
Yeah. No, 100%. Now, a fellow Nova Scotian has a known pregame of heavy carbs and pasta, and it's none other than Sidney Crosby. Have you had a chance to train with the greats of Crosby, McKinnon, and Marshawn, not Marshand, as a lot of people say it's Marshawn <laughs> back home? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm able to ski with those guys a little bit in the summer, uh, which is All pretty right. cool to be on the ice with them. And, you know, the skates are pretty intense just because they're some of the best players in the world. So, um, yeah, it's fun whenever I can get out there with those guys. Now, what was it like to play with those, you know, that you – looked up to growing up yeah it was nerve-wracking at first i think you spend so much time watching them on tv but um you know the, the thing about them is they're all really great people um really forthcoming and welcoming and you know like i said it gets pretty intense when you're on the ice and then it's pretty competitive for the middle of the summer so i think that's probably where most of the nerves came from but um yeah just to be invited out there to skate with those guys i think it, it helps me a lot you know you get a lot of confidence going from playing against those guys for a full summer to coming in, having normal competition the rest of the year. And um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And so now our current Big Red captain and your former teammate, you know, Brendan Locke, has told us that Madison Square Garden, world's most famous arena, is the hottest arena he has ever played in. That's his hot take. Now, can you speak to that at all, given that you've played a number of games at Madison Square Garden? You know, does that hold any water? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely hot in there. Um, the, to be honest with you, I think once you get into pros, like playing in a lot of those ranks, the bigger ranks for whatever reason, it seems like they're a lot hotter. Um, and you know, MSG in particular, yes, you, you realize, um, you know, it gets pretty warm in there. I think the other part of it is that whenever, whenever Cornell plays there, it's a packed house and there's whatever there is, 18,000 people in the stands. So, you know, having all those people around also, I think contributes to that, but, uh, yes, Brendan is absolutely correct. Yeah, no, I'm sure. And, and the Canadians are used to the cold. And yes. <laughs> so one of the best haircuts uh, on Cornell hockey in recent memory, if, if he had to give an award to the second best lettuce during his time on the team, who would it go to? I hear crowning me the best hair. Uh, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. No, well, thank you. Objectively, <laughs> objectively. Um, I remember Jeff Mullock getting a mullet and a few of the other guys. I like this mullet. That was right before COVID hit. I actually had an appointment to get a mullet. I know they probably won't believe me because I don't think they, they thought I was going to follow through and get one with them. <laughs> I had my appointment said that ultimately it got canceled because um, of a worldwide pandemic. But uh, I like yeah. uh, I like Jeff's mullet and I like this commitment to it, to uh, getting them with some of the other guys. Yeah, I, I, I was actually quite uh, – I, I was quite – sad when i i saw he chopped it off this season like, oh where'd it go man come on yeah, yeah. he'll grow it off for playoffs though it's gonna come back. i think so i'd it's be shocked if he didn't yeah yeah exactly no and so now that we've settled that what is one out of conference opponent you wish you had gotten to play while still in college hockey uh for our time there definitely minnesota duluth I mean, I played two complete seasons of college hockey and then three quarters or so of another. But, I mean, Minnesota Duluth won my freshman year. They won it all my sophomore year. And they're right in the mix again my junior year. So um, I would have liked the opportunity to do that. I know I play with uh, – I mean, Matt Cairns obviously went to Duluth after um, after being at Cornell. And then I play with another guy now uh, who, is a, who was at Duluth at the time. And, uh, 
you know, I, I'd never hear the end of it from him, especially because he won two national championships. So I would have liked to take yeah. a crack at them during our time there. Oh, I'll bet. Well, we have talked a lot about Steinberg, a fellow Halifax kid, and also now the Cookie Monster, as we, <laughs> as you made it official yourself, you you yes. baptized it now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we we love learning about. Let's let's label it as obscure foods that us Americans are not familiar with. So mm. what is a food from Nova Scotia that you miss when you're away from home? Um, Donairs are like specific to Nova Scotia, I think. I don't even, they have them in Europe. I don't know if you guys know what they are. It's like kind of like a, a, a gyro or a gyro. I don't know how you say it. Yeah. Kind of oh, similar yeah. to that. Yeah. Um, but that's like a Halifax special. There's like a Donair sauce. Um, which is like a white sauce that you put on it and comes with onion and tomato. So I think they're terrible for you. So I try to live with myself and maybe have one a summer when I'm home, uh, when I really yeah. want to treat myself, but that's one food. Um, and I'm trying to think what else we have. You guys don't have, I know we have like ketchup flavored chips, which I'm not crazy about. <laughs> Our producer um, has talked about that so many times yeah. and I'm really curious to try. I'm they're really they're not bad. I mean, I liked them when I was a kid, um, but I, I think the other one is all dressed chips. You guys don't have all dressed, do you? No. All, all dressed never heard of it. No. Yeah, we don't even all, know what that is. I, I feel so uneducated. <laughs> yeah. If you ever get your hands on Canadian snacks, those are the ones I think you should go for and try. Yeah. I, I was searching up something quickly. What is Moon Mist ice cream that good? I mean, it looks pretty decent, but isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I used to like Moon Mist a lot as a kid, actually. I feel like that's like a flavor that. Yeah, it's acceptable to order until you're like 13, 14 years old. Then you might start getting some funny looks, but uh, this is pretty good. Yeah. You guys don't have that either, I assume? No, not to my knowledge. At least not in Brooklyn. I don't know. What about you, Alex? Have you seen it anywhere? No, no. I, I <laughs> no. I'm sorry. You know, I, yeah. I God, I feel so. It's funny. A lot, no, a lot of these foods I didn't even realize were like Canadian delicacies until you get down here. And even Moon Mist, like I... I haven't really been on the hunt for Moon Mist lately, so maybe I never noticed it was, wasn't down here. But yeah, there's a few foods like that that are Canadian only. By the way, that first food you mentioned, we are very positive. Matt also said we're very positive Steinberg said that. We are. Yeah. We are almost 100% positive that he said that. So it looks yeah, like it looks like it's a, it's a delicacy to Nova Scotia, one could it say. <laughs> very much. And now my, my producer, our producer, wants us to ask, what about cows he just put ask about cows and have you tried it i cows think that cream, I yeah i believe yeah, that yeah, is yeah, yes yeah, cows that, ice cream yeah yeah no we used to love cows ice cream i think it's predominantly based in uh, prince edward island which is, i mean me and my family still go there and golf together um once a summer so we always take the ferry over and there's there's a cow's ice cream shop at the top of the ferry and then you get over there and there's cows at pretty much every every corner i think there's one in downtown halifax now but yes they have a great selection of ice cream i'm sure you can find moon mist there if you if you're ever uh, in the area well yeah. i mean i'm gonna have to book i guess a reservation for that place again we, <laughs> yeah. we don't have this stuff we don't have cow's ice cream I, 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 we I don't know. have we oh, don't have man, moon I, mist I we just got <laughs> we have like hagen does because that's how that's i'm pretty sure that's how you say it. i yeah, always said like right. hagen does uh, ben and Jerry's, you know, you name, you name it. I'm pretty sure that's pretty yeah. much it. Carvel, I guess, if you want to include yeah. that. Okay. <laughs> well, no, but 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. So we had a interesting conversation, and I promise this will probably be the last food question pertaining to Canada <laughs> specifically. However, we had an interesting uh, t- chat with Benny Sire about the Canadian gravy. 
So what is your stance on the Canadian gravy and what is your favorite thing to put it on? Uh, I don't know. Is there a big difference in Canadian gravy and American gravy? Oh, no, that no. That might be news I, to I, me. I, I think he meant like ketchup. Like that was, uh, like, he always referred to ketchup as the, Amer- as the Canadian gravy. And of course yes. I was, you know, shocked. I was like, well, I never heard of it. So uh, that makes sense. Some of Betty's, uh, some of Betty's lingo sometimes flies over my head. I'm sure I should have picked that one up, but uh, yeah, we eat a lot of ketchup. I still eat too much ketchup. I'm trying to cut down on it, but I eat ketchup on everything. I eat it on eggs, pretty much any kind of chicken. Um, you know, I, I mean, I've seen people who have it on, um, well, we've craft dinner, Katie. I think it's just craft macaroni and cheese for you guys. Yeah. But I've seen people like smother their craft macaroni and cheese with ketchup. That is a little bit too much for me, but um, with breakfast, especially, I'm, I need breakfast uh, with Canadian gravy. He did say he loved putting ketchup on mac and cheese. In my opinion, I think it sounds good when that mac and cheese is breaded. I think that's when it sounds decent. Uh, but, uh, oh, okay, Morgan, okay, Morgan. I could never do the cheese and ketchup. <laughs> now what's one thing that's more scrumptious than food it was your goals man it it was it was out of this world so you made a huge leap in goal scoring after your freshman year you know during the 2017-2018 season you recorded five goals but then went on to score a whopping 29 goals over the next two seasons 29 goals two seasons to what do you attribute that massive increase in scoring? Well, I think if you probably break it down, the power play was the biggest difference. You know, mm. I was the beneficiary um, of a power play that started clicking. I know our special teams uh, was a big part of our success, but um, a bunch of those goals came in the power play, which was great. Um, you know, I was kind of settled into like that one-timer spot. Um, and I know, if you talk to Yanni, call this, he'll probably take a lot of credit for that because it seems like almost all my goals were assisted by him just feeding them through at the point. But, um, you know, that helped a lot. And I know we touched on it a little bit earlier, but just having the coaches help, help me, um, you know, work on a lot of those things. I know that's an area where I spent a lot of my extra time just around the net trying to find ways to score goals and, and shooting pucks and, you know, trying to hit my spots. So, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, I remember scoring um, you know, some pretty cool goals, a lot of fun ones. And just to be a part of that team was, was a lot of fun because we won a lot of games. So, And I guess we could say that you guys had amazing chemistry in that sort of regard. You said it yourself. Yeah. And you guys were just, a di- you know, you guys were just dynamic. That's the easiest way to put it. <laughs> yeah, I still remember there's one one against Union where he ended up kind of in my spot and he drove to the net and I passed it to him. <laughs> I just remember laughing about that because that that was kind of the one time it seemed like the roles were reversed and then it pretty quickly went back to pass, passing me the fuck. So I'm sure he wished he got it for me a little bit more, but I was just too busy shooting comics. Now, going back to Lina itself, do you have a favorite Lina faithful cheer? Oh, I mean, there's a ton of them. I know, obviously, the uh, when we come out after the second period before the third, that one's like... Yeah second to none um but and i i was it was funny i was listening to the game while i was driving um on this saturday against colgate and yes there's something about when when there's a power play coming and i just remember the drums like dun, 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 yeah. Dun, dun, yeah, dun. Yeah, yeah. and for whatever reason i just i know we talked about it a little bit with like the harvard um goal my freshman year but like I have this vivid memory of lining up for the face off and just like hearing the drum beat going in the background and 
um, for whatever reason that always got me going. I think, you know, maybe because it, it seemed like, you know, at the end of a game when there's a minute left or two minutes left and you're going on a power play and you need a goal, you know, we found ourselves in that situation fairly frequently, it seemed like. And, um, you know, there's a lot of good memories associated with just hearing that song. And then a few minutes later, just hearing the roof, you know, erupt on the place. So I always really like that one. It's probably a little bit of an obscure answer, but um, I liked hearing it. That, that is a perfect response. Let me, I'll just say that, Morgan. Perfect response. Now, I, I have to ask this. As a Brooklyn Knight, in fact, even more specifically, as a Devils fan from Brooklyn, I know I'm getting a lot. Of, I know I'm getting a lot. Of, yeah, yeah, I get yeah. it. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I get it. It's all right. Can the Rangers fan base compete with the line of faithful? Yeah, it's pretty close. It's, it's, uh, I mean, it's different. I think line is a lot of students and, um, you know, some of the townies who have been around doing it a long time or, um, you know, New York's funny because I always envisioned New York fans to be like, uh, you know, I'd compare it to like Toronto. Like you go watch an NHL game in Toronto, the lower bowl, it's people will say like, it's a lot of suits, um, because the tickets are pretty expensive and, you know, typically you get people who come right from work wearing their suits sitting in the lower bowl. You get a little bit of that in New York, but like corporate New York fans, Ranger fans are like different than corporate New York or corporate, um, you know, whatever city fans, like they're just absolutely crazy. And, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, I'm lucky I get to play in front of one of the best fans in college hockey. And then I get to come play in front of the best fans in the NHL. And, you know, to me, um, to be able to have that, like play in front of the two best fan bases at the respective levels. I've really enjoyed that. And it's pretty cool to have them behind you. Yeah. And I mean, as a, as a diehard blue shirts fan, you know, I, I, I can, I can express <laughs> that. I mean, although honestly, like the one thing that I will say, and, and the one thing that I always miss, you know, if I go to an NHL game is uh, about Linus, the consistent heckling of the opposing goaltender. There's yeah. not so much of that. There's a little bit more respect yes on, on that end but like you know because like all bets are off when you come into line i'm sorry but like yeah you know yeah it's crazy yeah and, it's interesting for sure and, and 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 so i guess to follow that up you know if you could describe cornell hockey in one word what would you use mm. uh probably like mm, togetherness maybe it seemed like yeah you know a lot of teams would win games based on um, you know, the specific talent of a couple of players or, you know, they're very top heavy, and had a few really good players or, um, you know, a really good goalie. And, you know, we had all those things, but it seemed like more than any, anything else, the biggest contributor to our wins was just how deep we were as a team. Um, you know, we, we would very consistently roll out four lines for the vast majority of the game and not a lot of teams were able to do that. So, um, you know, we were always together. Uh, on the ice, we're always battling together, but also off the ice. Like, like I, I've touched on it a few times, but just how close everyone was, how well everyone got along together. And I know if we were going out or, or spending time together away from the rink, like you could count on every single guy being there. And if someone was missing, his phone was going to be buzzing off the hook because guys like, where are you? Come here, get out here now, like so on and so forth. So, um, you know, that's something I miss a lot. Just, it's pretty special to have an entire team getting together, you know, after a big win on a Saturday night and being able to spend some time together. That was pretty cool. And I mean, well, that's certainly one of the things that, uh, that Benny Sire had touched on too, about, you know, the togetherness of the team mm-hmm. and about, you know, the importance of, you know, really finding chemistry and using that as a, 
jump off point to build up a, an amazing team, which Absolutely. is unreal. It's, it's always good to hear that. And I, I guess to, to follow that up, what is one road trip with the team that stands out as very memorable to you? I know you had touched on Providence earlier, but is that like, would that qualify as the best road trip? Uh, yeah, I mean, the Vegas one was a lot of fun. It sucks that we, we ended up losing that game in a shootout, um, which is tough. But, um, yeah, I mean, I always the, – the Harvard road trip's always a lot of fun when we get to go to Line East and, yeah, and play yeah. there. And, that like, that's always a cool game. You know, the, the distance between Harvard and Dartmouth that we would travel after the game made it a little bit more difficult. Um, but, yeah, I mean – those ones, the ones that I remember most, weirdly enough, are um, pro or uh, St. Lawrence Clarkson for whatever reason. Like I always, and it, it's not because it was the most fun. Like it, it definitely wasn't the most enjoyable all the time. But you know, for, it always seemed like we were going there in like the dead of winter, it'd be February. There'd be snow on the ground. We'd kind of be in the dog days of the season, and you go out there and, and get beat up by two like really hard hitting teams. And it would always be really physical games with the both of us. And, you know, I remember my freshman year, we went up and got three or four points and we scored one goal all weekend. Jared Fiegel scored a goal. We, we beat St. Lawrence one, nothing. And we tied Clarkson zero, zero. So, yeah. um, you know, there's a lot of funny road trips like that. That's one, uh, that's one that I always look back on that was kind of interesting, but probably the Vegas one was the most enjoyable just because it get out of the winter for a little bit and go hang out in the sun. That was always nice. Yeah, for certain. And I mean, of course, so what is your favorite memory that you have of our fearless leader, uh, Mike Schaefer? You know, of course, uh, Schaefer's in our thoughts and we look forward to when he can be back behind the bench again. But, you know, jumping yeah. off of that, you know, what is your favorite memory? <laughs> a lot of good memories with Schaefer. I know. Um, you know, I remember having a conversation with him after our season got canceled. And I think that was probably when I realized how much he cared um, for, you know, for us as players, but also just for the program as a whole, you know, he's uh, so invested in, in having us win, uh, you know, each and every night. And his greatest attribute is his competitiveness for sure. I mean, I haven't met too many people who, um, who want to win and need to win as much as Shafe does. I think, you know, he'll go to the ends of the earth to, to win a game. Um, so specific memory, the one that sticks out in my head that's kind of funny is seeing him. Uh, we were having a practice. Um, I think it was my junior year probably. He, he wasn't too thrilled with the way things were going. We were all standing on the blue line waiting to do a drill and he skated across the blue line and stared essentially every one of us in the eyes and then slowly skated down towards the net. No one really knew what was going on. And he just took his stick and took it right across the crossbar, broke it in half. And uh, that's when everyone knew like, Oh, for, like this is, yeah. we're, we're in deep, uh, deep crap here. We, we, we better get going. So that was just one example of like a time where you get to see, um, you know, how intense he could be. And, you know, he ultimately flipped the switch and, and we go back to being normal old Shafe, but um, you know, that was one side of it. I also remember him sticking like 15 pieces of bubble gum in his mouth for a pregame skate in Northern Michigan. That's another one that sticks out. It's kind of like the polar opposite Shafe moment where he went from being uh, one guy to a different coach, but I think that's what makes him a great coach. You know, he's got so many different faces and um, you know, he knows how to handle different people really well. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly, you know, from sitting in section B, I can't really tell, you know, cause 
I've never seen him get like overtly upset, like, you know, or at least like lose his cool during the yeah. game. I think he's really composed during a, a, during a game, but you know, I, I can't really say the same for practice. So I haven't been there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, there's, there's definitely been a few clipboards broken on the bench when I was there, but um, yeah, generally speaking, he's able to keep his cool. And, uh, you know, I also, the line of faithful love telling me stories um, from when he was a player. I know whenever I meet people, you always get stories about him with the, well, I probably shouldn't share some of the stories. <laughs> uh, you get a lot of stories about Chafe and, um, you know, his time as, as uh, you know, the captain of Cornell and, um, you know, his hatred for Harvard and all those things. And it definitely carries over to him as a coach as well. No, I mean, I don't know if you're in terms of your music taste, you before a game, I don't know if you were more of a compose oneself type of guy or a hype oneself up type of guy. Yeah. So we, so we're going to try to infer a little bit of something. What is a band or artist you've been listening to lately? A lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I listen to a lot of different stuff. I feel like, Lately, I've been on kind of a country, country bender. I mean, I've been listening to a lot of like Morgan Wallen, um, stuff like that. I feel like that's what I like to listen to away from the rink. You know, I've, okay. I've never given the privilege of going anywhere near the DJ booth in the dressing room. That was, <laughs> that was the case at Cornell and <laughs> in pros, and I'm happy to stay away from it. But um, yeah, I've mostly been country music lately. I don't know. Steiny had to. Steiny has respect for country too. So you know, I, I'm a diehard country music fan. So I'm oh, always, cool. good to, always good to hear that stuff. Yeah. that's that's very rare. You know, you don't you don't get those. You got to celebrate those easy wins there and all. Yeah. Music. And 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 now I guess to follow that up, I mean, because we've always been asking the question of who has the worst aux. So like, uh, and the 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 greater consensus has been Liam Motley. So now, 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 now I, I'm not going to ask you that question. I'm going to ask you if Liam Motley made you a mixtape, like that said to Morgan Barron, love Liam Motley. Listen to this. Would you listen to it? Yes, I absolutely hey. would. I, I would listen to it um, solely because I'd be too curious um, and I would need to know what was on there. Uh <laughs> I wouldn't like Moss is a different character. I've never met anyone like him. One of the funniest people I've ever met for sure. But um, I would, I would be fairly certain that any and every song on there would be a new song to me. I never would have heard of any of them. And <laughs> I'd venture that most people probably wouldn't have heard of most of them either. So <laughs> yeah, my curiosity would get the best of me. I would have to listen to it. <laughs> it seems like he goes to the end of the earth to find one could say unique material. Uh, you know, yes. have, uh, that's we, a good way of putting it <laughs> we definitely need to ask for a motley mixtape we definitely need to we definitely need to maybe that could be a christmas special michael yeah, there you go. That. Keep, a, <laughs> keep a note of that michael. curated by liam motley himself <laughs> <laughs> now this is a special time of year for sports well sports fans also around the globe and of course the olympics are on are you yourself a big Olympics guy, Morgan? Uh, honestly, not not too much. I mean, if the NHL players were there, I would probably be a little bit more involved watching it. Um, I'll still watch some of the hockey, but that's uh, that's probably about it, to be honest with you. All right. And, I mean, a good way to keep up with, especially Cornelians in the Olympics, mm. is to tune into Big Red in Beijing. I mean, we, we actually, we spoke with Doug Dara. We spoke with Lenka Serdar. So, yeah, you know, 
you can always get a little yeah, bit. Yeah, there's of- a bunch of the women at the Olympics too, right? There, I know there's some alumni and stuff over there for the women's team, which is pretty cool. I was just about to ask you if you bumped into Jill uh, Saulnier and, you know, fellow Nova Scotia and Cornelian mm-hmm. representing the dominant team Canada and Beijing, as Michael always loves to emphasize yeah, to yeah, us. Yeah, there we go, Michael. <laughs> said it for you. Yeah, Mike. well, actually, I remember. So I know her brother a little bit. I actually played against him yesterday. He plays Ooh, on. Um, look at that. Yeah, he plays on Lehigh Valley, which is the Philadelphia's farm team. Oh yeah. Um, so I met, I know him a little bit. I, I remember. I don't think I've met Jill. Um, at least not recently, but I remember uh, as a young kid skating one time, and I can't remember how old I would have been. This would have been when she was at Cornell, I believe. And there was a girl out there, which you know it happens sometimes, but not not all that often. I think she was the only girl on the ice during the summer skate, and she was very, very good. I was like, who is this woman who's flying around and uh, is more than keeping up with uh, the rest of us? So um, I do remember that. I haven't had the chance to meet her, but, um, you know, those, it's pretty cool to see see that women's team, um, you know, putting so many players and having them be on the Olympic stage. It's pretty awesome. Absolutely right. And I guess to put it in humblest terms, one can call her a pioneer, really. really yeah, yeah, a humbly. And again, just need to plug in Big Red in Beijing one more time. Now, we have go. to we have to ask, do you prefer the Cornell red jerseys or white jerseys? I always like the whites. All right. I don't right. have a specific reason. I, I'm, I, for, I don't know. I just thought they always went well with, uh, with the whites and the white helmets. I like them. Just look, yeah. just look clean? I thought so, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, and I would uh, – I, I, honestly, um, I, I would follow it up with, like, you know, do, do, would you ever consider, like, you know, an upgrade to – you know, our tarps at all? I don't think so. No, okay. I, I liked, um, I know we would wear those, uh, we wore the 1970 like championship jerseys oh, yeah. the one year. Um, those are pretty cool, all the names across them. And then we had the other, uh, we had the one year where we had like other people's names on our back too. Um, I can't remember exactly why, but anyway, there's jerseys every, it seems like once every like every year, or every two years, they come out with like a cool jersey. I like the idea of wearing, um, you know, an alternate jersey once once a year, twice a year. But no, I, I think the Cornell jerseys are really too clean and too crisp to change them. And you know, so much about Cornell, the hockey program um, is based around like a tradition and having um, you know honoring our history. That I, I think um, I think would be foolish to change them. Would you I, I honestly, personally? <laughs> Well, 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 you know, because we asked that to a couple other guys and, you know, they were all like, you know, pretty much the same consensus. Like, you know, yeah. ah, don't really change the uniforms. There's too much history behind them. Like, you I know, think you so. See other teams in the ECAC have been kind of upgrading their uniforms in an effort to kind of get people to uh, come to the games and see them that they look uh, visually appealing. But I don't really yeah. think you got to change anything. With it, you know? No, I really like them. Yeah. Got to ask, for, if we were to produce an alternate jersey, would you prefer an all black kit, like everything that's just solid? Oh, my hand. You prefer everything that's solid black, you know, from head to toe? Or would you prefer, now this one may be a little controversial, but I think it could work out nicely, especially around Christmas time, perhaps, uh, you know, a red and white striped jersey, like mm. horizontal or vertical stripes, however you want it, but it's got to be striped. Which one do you prefer? All yeah. Striped. Uh, I think the black ones would be cool. I know, like, I know Dartmouth has striped ones. They actually usually turn out pretty well. Yeah, um, right. yeah. I don't know. I mean, it depends which direction you go with it. I know 
I remember the year before I got there, I think they wore, um, they wore an alternate um, against Niagara, maybe someone like that, where it had like a big, big white pipe going through the middle of the jersey. But that one was pretty cool. Yeah, I, um, I mean, like, I looked at their jerseys or their home jerseys that they wore this year. Look, I mean, in my opinion, not really good. They looked like Andy Kane's. And I forgive me for saying that, you know, Sean Chisholm. I'm sorry, but like, God, it looked like it, it did not look too good. You know? Yeah, it's an acquired taste. I'm biased, sure. though. Yeah, I'm biased. Yeah. <laughs> I trust. I think Schmitty usually has a heavy hand. Uh, Sean Schmidt usually has a heavy hand and, um, you know, whatever we're wearing. So I, uh, I trust him to make the right decisions when it comes to that stuff. I just put on whatever they put in my stall. <laughs> now, we've talked about Fox and, of course, there's John Marino and Ryan Donato and have you ever encountered any other uh, ex-college opponents during your time in pro hockey? Oh, yeah. I mean, it seems like I've come across quite a few of them. I know, uh, I know there's a Brown players at Qatari I play with in Hartford now. and I mean, I could go down a list of uh, probably a bunch of guys. I mean, I'm sure I'm forgetting a million names right now. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think you're seeing this kind of uprising of a lot of college hockey players in the NHL and in the AHL. So, um, you know, there's always guys arguing over which league is better than this league or which team is better than this team or, or whatever. But, um, yeah, I've come across quite a few guys who I've, who I've played against or even guys who are from other ECAC programs who may have been there like before or after me or some BU guys, things like that. So, yeah. Just out of curiosity, this just this just popped into my head. You know, New York Rangers. Yeah. OK. I'm not, you know, enough said. Do you have a favorite part of New York City that you like venturing to? Um, you know, I haven't I haven't been around a ton, to be honest with you. I know, um, I mean, I spent a little bit of time in like the Tribeca area, and I feel like that's where, if I'm ever going out, out to dinner with friends or family down here, I feel like that's kind of the area we venture towards. But no, I mean, I've only spent uh, I've only spent a few weeks here, really. So um, you know, hopefully. Hopefully moving forward, I'm able to get settled in and, and really explore the city more because there's so much of it that's really cool. But, um, you know, it's, I'm still kind of learning the different neighborhoods and such. So Of course. I got there's you. There's a lot of them. So, you know, there is. It is very confusing at first. But I started <laughs> to figure it out, I think. Hey, Trebek is nice. It was about 10 yeah. streets away from my high school, that neighborhood. And oh, cool. I mean, you mentioned pregame soccer, by the way. If you're down to a challenge or a match, I am down to I'm down to play you at Pier 40 on the Lower West Side of Manhattan. You, do, you give we'll me set it up. Yeah, you just give me a time. I'll be there. I'll take the next I'll Cornell have to, to Cornell brush up campus. On my bus. skills a little bit. <laughs> wait, yeah. wait, 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 and, and wait, no, no, no. I, okay, okay. I, I, I know we we said this was gonna be the last one, but I promise. Wait, so you, uh, you, you played soccer at St. Andrews, didn't you? Or, or I was did, that, yeah. What now? Now, now I, I'm just curious. Now, now I, I, I don't want to make you like toot your own horn or anything, but like, do you think that you could have played soccer at Cornell? Oh, uh, <laughs> no, no, God, no. Oh, okay. No, I don't think so. I mean, I mean, like, I'm always, I mean, I probably have too much confidence in myself that if I had dedicated my life to a different sport, I could have succeeded in it. So, like, maybe if I had quit hockey when I was much younger, but, uh, Oddly enough, like I think generally speaking, hockey is a little more physical than soccer games would be. But I just remember coming off after soccer games in high school and feeling like I was on my deathbed. Like I was, oh. my joints were sore, my knees were sore, I was tired, I was bruised. Like 
<laughs> I had fun playing because uh, it was so much different. Like hockey was so competitive and so important for me at the time. Like soccer was more just go out and have fun and play with your friends and compete. Um, so I enjoyed playing, but there's just something about running. Like I, I feel like at this point, my body's kind of been built and molded to be a hockey player. And I don't know if I could, could transition to do, uh, to do soccer, especially. And those guys are just really good. So that's the other issue. <laughs> well, you certainly are humble. Cause you know, we asked, uh, who was it? Oh yeah. Sam Malinsky. Uh, <laughs> Sam Malinsky essentially when he got out on the pod was like, oh yeah. Like, you know, I, I, you know, not to try to toot his horn or anything, but he was saying like, oh yeah, I could play wide receiver for Cornell football. Cause he <laughs> said he was a big football player in high school. And he's like, I'm like, could you walk on the football team? He's like, oh, I'm not going to say anything, but you know, Hey, yeah. you guys know. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe good. I've never seen Sam throw or catch a football. So I'd have oh, to okay, see it okay. I believe it. <laughs> now with that, do you have any final reflections or comments to share about your experience playing with the Big Red? I mean, I, I've gotten around to it a few times now, but I'm just so grateful. I decided on Cornell. I know, um, you know, I love all my teammates to death. It was really fun to, to be, be with them for as, as long as I was. Um, you know, I lived in a house with eight other guys during most of my time there. So, um, you know, I was really close to those guys and, and the rest of the team, but um, you know, I'm just always really appreciative for, for everything that came out of my time at Cornell, the coaches, my teammates, you know, the fans. Um, and I hope I can continue to watch the program grow. I know we've talked a little bit about um, the team this year, and I'm excited to watch them go on a run. And, um, you know, I think it's going to be fun for, for me to watch and hopefully for you guys to cover. So I appreciate you guys having me on. Oh, no, it's absolutely. it's absolutely our pleasure, just to put it at the very least. And again, I may be a New Jersey Devil supporter, but, but, but I, I see that smirk on your face, Morgan. I see that smirk. <laughs> but I'm a line of faithful first. I'm a member of the line of faithful first. And you're making us proud out there and we'll always be cheering for you. And again, with that being said, on behalf of the audience and ourselves, we thank you so much for your time and keeping the big red close to your heart. Of course. Yeah. Thank you guys a lot. I appreciate that. Of course. Thank you, man. what an honor to, to, you know, to, to finally get to speak to Morgan Barron. I know we've been talking about that for, for literally months on end. And I saw him smile when you, when you brought up the fact that you were a devil's fan. Yeah. He smirked. He smirked. No, 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 no. We we saw that. We saw that, you know, he couldn't say anything for legal reasons, but you know, he, he knew, I don't think he had a problem with it at all, but like, no, that that's, that's fair. It was a great conversation and what an amazing guy has such an amazing outlook on life and on, you know, hockey has an unbelievable hockey, uh, hockey IQ, as we all know, and just, uh, you know, a living legend for the big red. So true honor to speak to him. And, you know, we can't wait to see what he does with the rest of his career, especially as he becomes an ever more present um, face on the NHL stage. And now, so the week ahead. Okay. So Cornell has two games this upcoming weekend for their second of their two upstate New York road trips. First, they will face RPI in Troy on Friday night, February 11th, and Union on Saturday in Schenectady. However, let's get to RPI. 
So Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute is currently tied for fifth in the ECAC, only five points behind Cornell. Now, RPI's had an interesting batch of results in the new year. They've gone three and six, losing to the likes of Yale and Brown, uh, while defeating Harvard uh, at Lina East and Dartmouth and St. Lawrence on the road. Now, we all know RPI. Yeah. Because the last time we had a game against RPI, it was a memorable night at Lina that saw Max Andreev score four goals and the Big Red put up 11 in total on the MVP himself, Lyndon Marshall. And what's, what's interesting is that, you know, he hasn't been starting as much of late, but we'll get to that in a sec. Players to watch. Okay. Senior forward, uh, Tura uh, Linden, I believe that's how you say it, leads the team so. in scoring with 10 goals and 23 points. Although he is pointless in his last four games, so uh, interesting. He's going through a little bit of a drought there. However... Junior defenseman Simon Kelberg, a New York Rangers draft pick, leads RPI's defenseman in points, and he had two points last weekend. Now, freshman goalie Jack Watson has been getting some starts this year um, in or at the expense of Lyndon Marshall, I might say, especially in the <laughs> new year. He's been excellent, uh, Jack Watson, uh, with three shutouts in his last six starts. And I don't know, Sean. We may see him Friday night due to the un like to the ungodly amount of psychological damage that Lyndon Marshall experienced on that fateful night at Lina. And to Lyndon, we sincerely apologize for that, but we also apologize for nothing because it's all in a good day's work. <laughs> oh my god. Yes. <laughs> no, it's all part of the game. Anyway, yeah, it's fair. It's fair. I, I don't want to beat a dead horse with RPI. We know, like, we all know. We know we're, we're, we're ready for this game. All right. How about union, Sean union Saturday night. Sounds like a pretty good deal. So union does enter the weekend tied also for fifth in the ECAC. So things are really starting to spice up toward, I guess you could say the latter portion of the regular season union is five and four in ECAC play in 2022 most recently losing to Quinnipiac two to one and defeating Princeton seven to three now the big red did win their last game against union at Lina by the score of four to one so you know history seems to be in our favor but again given our form we can't we cannot take anything for granted so we just have to hope for the best and we know that this big red side can once again redeem redeem themselves and with that, you know, players to watch, we have sophomore forward Liam Robertson, who leads the team with 11 goals and has a four goals and an assist in his last six games. Seems to be a little bit on a hot streak there. Senior defenseman Brandon Estes leads the team, leads the team in points with 18. And with that, he's still a negative 11 on the season. Ah. So sorry, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> that's <laughs> no, rude. It's okay. I, I, that's, that was very rude of me. I apologize. No, it's okay. It, it was a genuine reaction. It's a human reaction. Here, here on the Big Red Hockey Cast, we only show human emotion. <laughs> and of course, we're going to look at the goaltending side of Union. And let's, according to what I'm seeing here, it's been led almost exclusively by Connor Murphy, who has only missed two games this season. The poor lad. He was not given a vacation, not given a break. He's always on the ice. 
This man is peppered with shots. In fact, Union averages a whopping 33 shots against per game. Oh, the poor man, poor Connor Murphy. Poor man. And he's about to get more on Saturday night. He will get peppered, bombed, bombarded. You named it. He has to deal with quite a handful just on any given night, let alone against a team like the Big Red. Oh, yeah. He can only pray. He can only pray. Union can only pray. Yep, exactly. And, you know, I'll I'll bet he's got to be either taking his medication or, you know, saying a couple prayers before he comes to Lina. Uh, (laughs) Or, or excuse me, before we go there. My apologies. I already played them at Lina. Anyways, (laughs) just a reminder to tune into our sister podcast, Around the Gorge, for all of your Cornell sports needs. They make every Monday worth it, and it's quick enough for you to do any type of quick chore. However, if you're interested in finding out how the Cornell Olympians are doing on the world's biggest stage, then look no further than Big Red in Beijing, which features some exclusive interviews of some Big Red Olympians as we cheer them on from home. It was a true honor to work on this project alongside you, Sean. It's well worth a listen. I highly suggest that those of you who want to, please tune in. I could and, not have said that any better myself, Alex. Yeah, no. I could not great. have said that any better. You're absolutely right. Absolute honor, absolute pleasure. Very fun. And, you know, again, what perfect timing to be a junior, you know? Yeah, yeah. What a time. What a time. Yeah, exactly. And, of course, with that, thank you for tuning into this episode of the Big Red Hockey Cast for and from the line of faithful. This has been a Big Red Sports Network production. BRSN is a student-run organization dedicated to promoting the voices of Cornell student-athletes. Make sure to check out at Cornell BRSN. That's at Cornell BRSN on Instagram and www.cornellbrsn.com. And with that, we have to shout out our producers, Michael Farku, our beloved Canadian, Mike Seitz, and Jay Klein. Yes, yes. who's currently watching – well, hold on, hold on. Who's currently watching the USA-Canada game. So pending the results of this game – We'll see how he feels. (laughs) Not saying anything, Mike. We love you. Of course. No, we will see the result. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens simply. And we'd also like to thank Ben Rudoy and John Ashbrook, our latest members to the team, helping out with stats and questions. Thank you guys so much. And once again, thank you for tuning into this episode. We wish you the best.